This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. James with a rip away. LeBron in full flight. Flight number 23 exploded off the runway. And what coming? What a virtuoso performance from the megastar in wine and gold. Any fan of the Cleveland Cavaliers knows those words. Flight number 23 taking off. Michael Regai is our guest here on Play by Playcast today. Welcome back in. Thanks for clicking download or subscribe. And hey, if you've only clicked download, go click subscribe as well. Give us some love on the subscribe button uh, if you've liked what you've heard over the last 45 seconds. If this is your first exposure to what we're doing here, uh, go click subscribe. Really appreciate it. And then, hey, if you really enjoy it by the time we're done today, throw some stars, a rating, a review, anything of that nature always helps the podcast uh, in the long term. Algorithms, search forms, all those kinds of things helps other people find the podcast and enjoy uh, what you have enjoyed or uh, maybe or maybe are not enjoying right now. This is, though, the Play-By-Play podcast, a podcast for Play-By-Play guys, about Play-By-Play guys, hosted by a Play-By-Play guy. My name is Joel Godet. I've completed now my fifth as the football and basketball, also baseball, sometimes volleyball, uh, voice of the Ball State University Cardinals in Muncie, Indiana. And that brings us to our guest today, uh, Michael Regai, not only has spent a long time in his career as the voice on television of the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Baltimore Orioles, but right now, if you are a fan of mid-major sports, and particularly the Mid-American Conference, which Ball State is in, uh, you know Michael Regai's voice, and you know his work, and you see a lot of him. So uh, Michael Regai will be our guest. Before we get to Michael, though, a couple of things I want to get to. Uh, first and foremost, uh, hit us up on Twitter also, if you have the Twitter machine. Uh, we are at PXPCast. The best endorsement for what we do here is, if you guys like it, that you share it. So if you see our tweets on Twitter, uh, give us a mention or a retweet or a like uh, or a quote tweet or something that lets people know you're listening and that you enjoy the product. Uh, we, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, that being said, though, weird time of year for college broadcasters. Football season runs into basketball season, and then things kind of cool down a little bit. Once you get into March Madness, and if your team is eliminated from March Madness, once you get through March Madness, it's it's just a... It's a weird time of year because you've got a little bit more free time on your hands. And I never really know what to do with it. And a lot of us, I feel like we review what we do throughout the course of the season in this business as much as we can. But at the end of the basketball season, I particularly, I love to go back and listen and watch as much as I can. And it's the most unbelievably frustrating thing ever because even though you've watched things over the course of the season, now you watch things and you see everything wrong and it really bugs you. Like it bugged you the first time and you were like, all right, we'll work on that next game out. But now you see other trends and things like that and say, all right, well, at the end of the day, here's what I improved on most, but here are the couple of things that still bug me. And when can I improve those? Next year. (laughs) I mean, there are other ways to do it. Practice play-by-play and going to make tapes at other things. Uh, I've gone and made tapes at WNBA games in the past over the summer. I'll probably do it again this summer going down to the Indiana Fever, who are always really accommodating. But you just, like, there's that itch to want to, like, I can't wait for football season to get here because there's just some certain things that I think bugged me most. Um some of it I was aware of during the year. Some of it I, you know, I, I, I think really you catch hold of when you watch everything in bulk. Uh, so it's a weird time of year as far as that is concerned. Also a fun time of year, though. Final Four is this weekend. That's Saturday, Monday. Uh, outside of that, next week is the Masters week. And then outside of that, I'm a huge wrestling fan. Uh, Saturday night is TakeOver. And Sunday night is WrestleMania. And Monday night, which is also the national championship game, which I, I don't know what I'm going to watch, it's Monday after Mania. There's, there's so much going on. 
We will have. I do definitely want to have a wrestling play-by-play voice on this podcast at some point. Uh, but it's a huge time of year for that. We had golf on last week with Tom Wormies. We got that kind of perspective. And uh, we will talk some Final Four in indirectly a little bit. We'll talk some NCAA tournament uh, stuff next week. Chris Carino will join us, voice of the uh, Brooklyn Nets. But he also calls the NCAA tournament on radio. So we'll get a little bit of a flavor for, for everything that's going on right now uh, at some point or another here on the, podca- uh, the podcast. Also, Bob Joyce from the Connecticut Huskies, previous guest of the pod, uh, 10th straight Final Four he's broadcasting this weekend, and I presume his fifth straight victory. Uh, but <laughs> 10th straight Final Four. If you have not heard what it's like to broadcast always wins, it's a terrible problem to have. Uh, you can scroll back through, I think, three or four episodes ago. Bob Joyce, he's still our most listened to, most downloaded episode um, as well, if you want to go check out uh, the Bob Joyce episode. Otherwise, uh, baseball starts this week. Major League Baseball will be underway next time we talk to you. It also means it will be the first time since 1950 Vin Scully is not on the air on opening day. 1950, he started with the Dodgers. 67 years later, uh, Vin Scully, of course, retired at the end of last season. And I loved this quote. Uh, Vin Scully might watch the Dodgers if he doesn't have other things to do. (laughs) Quote, I'll probably have things to do. I might catch a piece of it. Enjoy your retirement, Vin. <laughs> That's incredible. You know at least he's going to catch some of it, or he's going to be locked into the whole thing. Maybe he won't. Who knows? Other random cool note, though, if you hadn't seen this, his voice is a national treasure. Literally. Like, literally. This is from the Associated Press. Legendary Dodgers announcer Vin Scully this is an interesting sentence. Legendary Dodgers announcer Vin Scully and rap group NWA were named Wednesday among the newest inductees to the National Recording Registry of the Library of Congress, which I didn't know existed. Uh, the selections of the 2016 registry were called as oral treasures worthy of preservation because of their cultural, artistic, and historical importance to American society and the nation's audio heritage. Vin Scully's play-by-play from the Dodgers and Giants game at the Polo Grounds in 57 the last game the teams played in New York uh, was one of two radio broadcasts to uh, to be included there. I, <laughs> Vin Scully, we always knew he was a treasure to the industry and, and to baseball. Uh, he quite literally is a national treasure now. Uh, enjoy your retirement, Vin. Uh, you, you, you have earned it. But I think we all know he's going to, at some point in time, flip on the Dodgers, I would think, uh, when the season gets underway this week. All right, on to our guest for this week. It is Michael Regai, as we mentioned. Uh, if you know the Mid-American Conference at all, Akron, Kent State, Toledo, Ball State, Western Michigan, Central Michigan, uh, Miami, Toledo, I think I said Toledo twice, uh, all of those schools. Uh, Michael Regai is like the voice of the league. He does the league's package, uh, does a lot of their conference tournament games, be it on radio or on television, does a lot of stuff with Sports Time Ohio, uh, across the state of Ohio. He works for uh, Talk Radio, in Cleveland and has a really big Cleveland media presence still. Cleveland is really his home. Uh, does some ESPN stuff. He's really all over the place. But is most known, if you go back a few years, as the voice on television of the Cleveland Cavaliers, 1993 to 2006, and the voice of the Baltimore Orioles from 1997 to 2004. Yes, he did both those things at the same time. He overlapped in two different cities, which are not particularly close to each other. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, Michael's an interesting guy uh, and really an awesome guy. We see each other a handful of times a year at conference events. Uh, he's always welcoming. He's always uh, willing to talk. He's always willing to give advice. Uh, and he's always willing to do podcast. Well, I don't know if he's always. This one time, he was willing to do a podcast that went till about 1 in the morning. And we were literally kicked out of Quicken Loans Arena. <laughs> we taped this after the quarterfinal round of the Mid-American Conference basketball tournament several weeks ago. And I left it in. The audio was in here. Uh, the security guard quite literally comes behind us and just stands there until we finish doing the podcast because they wanted to go home. So Michael Regai is our guest today on Play by Playcast. 
All right, Michael, we're sitting here courtside at Quicken Loans Arena, uh, Mid-American Conference Tournament. These are always fun for you, aren't they? Because it's like a Absolutely. marathon of just work. Absolutely, Joel. Passion, man. I mean, this is the uh, the very best time of year if you're, you're calling college hoops. I mean, I love college football, and I love bowl season, what have you. But, you know, the look at what we experienced on Thursday in the men's quarterfinals here in the uh, the MAC tournament, you know, and I th- this is pretty much part and parcel with what you get every March here in downtown Cleveland. What's this like for you in your situation? Because, you know, when I'm here, I'm calling one game, yep. and I'm worried about one game. We win. I'm worried about Akron tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You're coming in, and they're saying, all right, Michael, you're going to do these four games today, and then tomorrow you're going to do everything on radio. How do you yeah. keep eight teams straight every game straight know your facts on each team don't let things bleed into one another uh sleep at some point yeah yeah good good point there <laughs> trying to get uh, some shut eye in but you know ironically I, we do this at midnight but yeah that's okay yeah, yeah. well <laughs> sometimes that happens at tournament time uh, I, I think the good thing is though is that when you have a chance to call a league in particular Obviously, during the course of the season, you know, I've seen all these teams multiple times. That helps. And I also think, and as I'm sure you found out, relationships with coaches and coaching staffs and then even players and access to practices and shoot-arounds, I love all that. I'll never tire of that. Uh, For me, it's the best uh, and it's because of a relationship standpoint, you know, the confidence and the trust that you gain. And I think then coaches, look, they're going to uh, they're going to open up and give you things. And, you know, that's as you know, I mean, it's it's got to be earned and it, it, it maybe takes uh, years to be able to do it. But I mean, I've called the Mac for so long and it it, it to me, it's um, it's kind of like second nature. I've called the NCAA tournament where you do four games in a day and maybe you're seeing that team the day before for the first time in a practice. Now that, you know, that makes it a little more difficult yeah. and makes the prep time way more extensive. But I mean, you know, for the Mac, it's uh, something for me that has always been a passion. And I think I know the history of every program in the MAC, you know. So if, uh, you know, I'm in Muncie, Indiana, and we need to talk about Rick Majerus and Dick Hunsaker and uh, Paris McCurdy and Curtis Kidd and Chandler Thompson, you know, I called those games <laughs> back in 89 and 90 in the early 90s. So, um and I love it, but do, do I think that gives me a little bit of advantage? I think it does. I, I want to know the history of programs. And, and so having experienced it firsthand and called it, you know, that's something I, I hold near and dear. It's kind of like the best of both worlds because you get to do the, the television side of things, which nowadays is so much parachuted in, do a game here, do a game there. You don't develop those relationships and knowledge bases. So you get the network TV feel while still being like the voice of a team without really being the voice of a team. Well, that's a very good point you make. And I've always said, listen, you know, we know that uh, television today is, I believe, you know, and here is two play-by-play guys discussing it. It's an analyst-driven, you know, um, medium from the television perspective. Now, to me, always in every sport but especially you know basketball football the truer gauge i think of one's capabilities is on the radio side because on tv you know if you're over talking too much on on television you're doing a disservice really to the viewer and i mean when i began i'll be honest with you that was the most difficult thing for me and the tv side is to you got to back it off. Yeah. You got to let the picture tell the story, and that's that's hard to do a little bit because you're caught up in the game. But uh, yeah, so you know what you're doing every day, that's the real true barometer of I think a guy's ultimate play by play skills. Which one do you like better? Because I know you do both. Uh, I'll always I think you mean uh, TV radio. Correct. Like I said, you know, like I'll, I'll move over to radio on you know on Saturday. I love that. I think it's. Uh, I, I and you know I don't do that much radio anymore, so I miss it, and I always like the opportunity to be able to do it, whether it's you know football or hoops or or even baseball. But um, yeah, it, it they're vastly different, 
and you you have to uh, i'm one that wants to tell you everything that moves you know so i th- obviously that that would lend itself sure. far greater to radio i want to get into some kind of nitpicky stuff of of what you do in particular and how you do what you do uh, but if i can pull things way out and go macro for a second you're obviously m- most known for your time with the Cavs and your time with the orioles mm-hmm. um but give me a little bit of the background, kind of the spark notes on your career as a whole, uh, what you're doing now, and, and kind of the highlights along the way for you to give people that, that don't know Michael Regai a picture of, of well, what you've yeah, done. That, that's a very good question. I mean, you know, started uh, opportunities, you know, and I started in the business, you know, calling uh, calling high school and Division three games on the radio, and that's where I developed my love for play-by-play. But, you know, honestly, then I got the opportunity, and, you know, and I mean, I'm I'm just right out of school as a 22-year-old. But for the you know the next 10 years, I got the opportunity to television sports anchor, and uh, you know everything's worked out. But I almost sometimes you know regret I, I it the money was better, no question about it. When you you know get an opportunity to do television in a major market and, and be a sports anchor, but uh, it took me away from my first love, you know. So, uh, but it's fine. Everything worked out, and I'm blessed, and I'm very fortunate. But that's how it began, and so then uh, got the opportunity to call college football and basketball on TV, like you know, in the mid '80s, and that's when I took it and said, you know, that's that's my first love. So from there, it, here in Cleveland, it got into a lot of uh, on the major. Major League side, you know, pre-game, post-game, television, Indians, Cavaliers, Browns, then got the Cavaliers opportunity, 14 years, you know, as the TV voice of the Cavaliers, and concurrently, three years later, after getting the, I got the uh, opportunity to call the Baltimore Orioles, too. So, like I said, you know, Joel, it's a blessing for me that, you know, I was one of the very few guys who were calling two um, Major League professional sports I think at the time it was myself, and I was doing two different cities, and Drew Goodman, who called the uh, Denver Nuggets and the Colorado Rockies. Now, this is going back to, like, the late 90s, but I think at the time we were the only two that we're, we're calling to. So, you know, I mean, like I said, I, I'm... I'm humbled by that, flattered by that. I had the opportunity, but by the same token, you know, I know I worked very hard to get there. Sure, you can be given the opportunity, but I think, as you know, you've got to show that you can keep it and that, you know, again, you're um, of the of the skills to be able to keep it and keep, you know, keeping one is hard enough. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how it all evolved for me. And then got back into more, uh, actually about 10 years ago, doing going back and doing more college. Uh, so right now it's pretty much uh, all college football and hoops, a little bit of baseball. Do um, a lot of studio shows here in Cleveland, mostly with the Browns and the Cavaliers in mind. So I, I still love the diversity, though. The chance, again, I feel blessed that I've got a chance to do different things within our industry. Lots of Brock Osweiler talk right now then, there, by the way. There yeah. was a lot of that today. I mean, here called them out trying to get ready for that first one. I got disposed, you know, red guy, what do you know about Osweiler? What's he doing? I don't think they're going to keep Brock Osweiler. I think that uh, that was a move to acquire more picks to take that money off Houston's hands, but to be able to ultimately deal Osweiler and the picks. So everybody here is hopeful it's Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll see. That'd be great. Um, yeah, that, that would work out. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I love hearing the different perspectives of how people get to play-by-play. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love hearing about people that go to a city, develop roots in a city, and one thing leads to another, and they earn their way to a spot like you did with the Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. Uh, walk me through coming to Cleveland and really getting ingrained in this city and this city's sports culture until you uh, wound up working your way up to the seat uh, here at the Q, or, well, right. before the Q, uh, here with the Cavs. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, you know, and again, I came here as the weekend sports anchor at the ABC affiliate. And, uh, you know, I mean, I loved it. You get a chance. It was my first opportunity. I was still in my 20s at the time. And, you know, a little different than now, I am going to say, you know, opportunities for people in their 20s. Now I'm talking about the 80s. That wasn't as plentiful as it is now. The opportunity to go to, you know, major market, you, you had to be pretty fortunate to be able to do that back then. Different now? Sure. Uh, but so... 
Like I said, I took that and I wanted to establish myself in a major market, and I did. But from that, at least you, you get the everyday with three franchises here in town. So for me, you know, it was the Indians MLB, the Cavaliers in the NBA, and the Browns in uh, the NFL. And still, uh, I think that every day being exposed to that really helped me um, with my goals on the play-by-play side because I always, even in doing highlights as, as an anchor, I kind of, you know, would interject my style of play-by-play into that, you know. So, I mean, yeah, it... Um, and again, as I go back to, as I said about with coaches and what have you and, and with programs on the college side, you know, it, uh, it got me kind of um, close to those that, you know, were capable of uh, making decisions in front offices in three major league, uh, squad, you know, NFL, NBA, and uh, Major League Baseball. So it helped. I, I did a little, three years here, and then that's when I started to get the opportunity to do college football and hoops play-by-play and this was on uh, tv back in the 80s so you know i I think all of that helps i I, you know you i want to think that uh could i have gotten to this without that step anchoring sports here at the abc affiliate in cleveland possibly but i that could have been a a stepping stone because like is you you alluded to it got me exposed here in a major market with three professional franchises. And I do think that ultimately that helped, yeah. That is a jumping off point. How does one become the voice of the Baltimore Orioles? <laughs> That's, that was very interesting. <laughs> I uh, And I thought it was going to be the Indians. And yet, you know, and again, one of the Indians front office guys who happened to, you know, have a, uh, he was more of marketing and communications here in Cleveland and also did a stint at Fox Sports Ohio as uh, a an executive producer he all of a sudden got the job as the director of broadcasting and the VP of marketing with the Orioles and he he said you know Michael would you consider coming to do the Orioles you know I think it'd be terrific it's a great bit and of course, I mean, it's a business decision. I was calling the Cavaliers here. I was already five years into calling the Cavaliers here. So that's another thing. Now you have to have tremendous cooperation from two franchises. Joel, I'll tell you, the month of April for eight <laughs> years was, was uh, there, were ni- there were stretches, and it's, it's only two to three weeks, end of the NBA regular season, beginning of MLB. There were nights, literally seven, eight, nine, ten nights in a row. I did a, the the two sports in a different city every night during that stretch in the first two weeks of April. But you know, I wouldn't trade it in for the world. You know, because you know how many opportunities like that come along. Is it grueling? Is it? Te- yeah, it is. But I mean, listen, if that's if that's what your passion is and that's what your love is, to get that kind of opportunity was great. But, you know, the first two to three weeks of April every year for eight years were difficult. Are there any horror stories now, or I guess horror then, amusing now, of yeah, trying to make that work? Worried about, you know, planes and being on time and what have you. But, uh, again, you had to get great cooperation. And, you know, the Orioles allowed me to I, I could miss a few of their early season games to be able to call the Cavaliers. So I'm... I, I think they gave me like they let me miss four or five and that kind of got it through the end of the nba regular season so but yeah i mean you know you're always worried about when you're on flights and commercial you're always worried about things like that and it uh, thankfully it never happened i remember um you know one day i decided to uh the orioles were playing in detroit one o'clock on a saturday afternoon so i called the friday night game there and again this was during that period of april and i said you know what and i I talked I I talked to Cavaliers at seven o'clock and tip off here. And Mike Messina was on the mound for the Orioles. And uh, Oh no. So yeah, no, but I listen, it worked so I said I'm gonna I can do it. I'm gonna try it. It's about two hours from downtown Detroit from it was the old Tiger Stadium to here at this arena right here. And I said, you know what? If I can get and I'd let everybody know now normally because I'm here three hours for a game. Now I'm not gonna be here three hours for a game. But I'll make it. I know I can make it. So and uh, 
Mike Messina, my guy, he pitched a three-hit shutout in two hours and seven minutes, and I was in left downtown Detroit at about at Tiger Stadium at about 325, and I was in this building uh, about 510 for a 7 o'clock tip. So I got lucky there. But, uh, you know, so things like that calling two, uh, two sports – and two professional sports leagues in two different cities in one day. Those are things I'm always going to remember, yeah. And we go to the bottom of the 17th. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that wouldn't have worked. I'd have been making those calls back here, and uh, Cavaliers probably wouldn't have been happy with me, yeah. Uh, you mentioned Mike Messina. I'm curious. You saw a lot of really great players called oh, yeah. Cal Ripken, obviously, with the Orioles. Yep. But you're probably uh, most well associated with the guy that played here. Yeah. Uh, describe for me the early years of being able to broadcast LeBron James and what it was like for this city, for this franchise, uh, to really be a part of that and feel that energy and then convey that as well. For the city and for this region, uh, such phenomenal jubilation. And I remember, there's another story, I was in, uh, at, um, in Anaheim on the night of the draft. Orioles were playing in June, of course, late June. Orioles were playing the, uh, the Anaheim Angels. So I'm at the Big A in Anaheim, and of course I'm, I'm glued to the NBA draft to see if the Cavaliers, you know, are going to get... Well, actually, that was a draft lottery, so you didn't always get the draft lottery, but still the night of the draft was big to be able to hear LeBron say, but for this area and this region, just the jubilation to have a young man who had so much acclaim and and probably was going to, you could see, could be the linchpin of uh, ultimately that he was had the every capability to be a phenomenally gifted NBA player. So I, you know, I still for the for the fan base here. And be one of the greatest days in the history of Cleveland sports. And then to be able to call uh, open his opening night, it was in Sacramento. There were 435 national media credentials given out. And it was an absolute swarm. And it's the Cavaliers playing the Sacramento Kings. So at the time, although Sacramento at that time, you know, this is 03. So, you know, they're Chris Weber and Vladi Divac and uh, Mike Bibby. They got a good squad. But, you know, again, still to, to see that kind of impact because... As you know, the Cavaliers had been in a stretch where this franchise was pretty downtrodden. So his impact was, I think, as um, almost immeasurable. Uh, what it, I mean, it just jumped every needle going right off the charts. And 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 the young man followed in kind with you know certainly and doing everything that you would expect that he would for this franchise. And then though you know, and then you had uh, seven years later when he decides to uh, go to the Miami Heat. Uh, you know, his right. And I think, though, most everybody around here, it's not that it happened. It's the way that it happened and the television production that was made out of it. So, but all that having been said, here he is back here now, and they've gone to two straight finals, and they win one. It breaks the city's 60-year drought without having a championship. So, I mean, to me, um, you know, he has answered every critic uh, with, because I, I just don't think people associate how much enormous pressure was on him to come back here and make this a reality. And the fact that he did it, I just think is, uh, you know, it's epic. Do you remember the first time you said Flight 23 taking off? Absolutely, yeah. I think it was in, in game number two that he played and stayed out on the road. And again, you know, Joel, I, I get a lot. I, I've never scripted anything. I mean, it's just, you know, I've never thought about anything. It's just, it, it comes out. I don't know any other way to say it. And that's something that, you know, again, it, uh, you know, rips the ball away at, at midcourt. And I mean, that to me, that's what he looks like, this big 737, like ready to, you know, elevate and take off the runway. So it just came out, you know, flight number 23 cleared for takeoff. So, you know, I mean, but that's my style anyway. We all have to develop our styles. And, you know, it's uh, I, I, I've never, you know, and I mean, I listen to a just phenomenal 
broadcasters throughout the course of, you know, uh, my growing up, Ernie Harwell of the Detroit Tigers, you know, um, and I would always dial around as a kid, and I, I loved hearing Marv Albert and Johnny Most especially, um, you know, and uh, the guy that I had, uh, you know, for 14 years, he and I were together here. I mean, Joe Tate, one of the incomparable voices of the NBA. Joe was just a, like a Picasso, the way he called a game on the radio. So, and then, you know, he and I were very, very good friends, and uh, I value, you know, being able to be with him and him calling the games on the radio. And, I mean, you know, my reverence for him is so much people would say, you know, Rega, you know, the voice of the Cavaliers. No, nah, no, 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 no. I call the games on TV. I'm the TV. Joe Tate is the voice of the Cavaliers. And that's just out of reverence and respect, but I mean that because I thought – back then and I first heard Joe when I was a you know a high school kid uh and and I thought at the time now this is you know we listened to the radio a lot because at that time I'm going back to the 70s there were maybe 20 NBA games on TV that you'd see from your team maybe 45 to 50 MLB games. And Joe not only did the Cavaliers, he also did the Cleveland Indians too. So, but uh, I thought, and I said it to everybody, and as much respect as I have for the the Marv Alberts and the Johnny Most in Boston, Chick Hearn with the LA Lakers, to me, it's just that the Cavaliers weren't a good franchise. This is before the days, you know, again, nobody, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, nobody cared about them. <laughs> but to me, yeah, I'm a little bit biased, like I said, because he's different. But Joe Tate, to me, was equally as fine a play-by-play announcer as Albert and Most and Hearn. It's just that they're in New York, Boston, and L.A., and Joe was here in Cleveland with a team that maybe would win 15 to 20 games a year. What was it about, when you listen to him, uh, and you say he paints like a Picasso, yeah. uh, what would stand out? What, what just had you gripped to that dial? Always knew where the basketball was on the floor. I felt that he called every pass, and I I, I try to do that when I, when I call a game on the radio. I do. I, I just feel it's important, and I feel it's something that the radio listener, you know, needs to know where's the ball, you know, what side of the floor it's on. Um, you know, is a guy coming off a screen? Is he angling from right to left? Is he hitting the free throw line extended? You know, where's the ball on the floor? And then, of course, I oh, after every make, I try to. And, and you know, it's so funny. And you never have to do it in TV if you don't want to, because the score bug's there. You gonna, usually, I'll be honest. On TV, uh, ball state's up by six. You know, Franco House to the hoop, you know, strong off glass, push the ball state lead to six. I don't need to say 31 to 20, uh, what did I say, six? 31 to 25. It's there on a score bug. So, you know, at times, and again, at times TV can get you into some bad habits. And it's just because of the difference in the medium, that's all. But, now Joe painted the picture, like I said, you know, Tate would be, you know, uh, Austin Carr between the circles, Carr with speed to the line, to the lane, to the hoop, lay it up with the right hand. You, you knew where not only the ball was, but where if a player was coming down the floor, he'd tell, you know, hit the top of the circle, the line, to the lane, to the hoop. And I always thought, yeah, that's impressive. That's impressive. And, you know, I don't know. Do you hear it? You tell me. You'd know better. I mean, do, do you hear that a lot anymore with radio announcers? Not enough, probably. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's just taste, you know, but that's my taste. But, but again, you know, that's the era I grew up in where I felt it was very, very important to, I mean, you got to paint the overall picture. And again, some do it better than others. And, and we have many, 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 many great ones that I have a great deal of respect for, you know. Um, Bob Costas, uh, Costas, I mean, he, I felt he always was a guy that valued the play-by-play call on radio more than on TV. And, of course, he, too, you know, same thing. He starts in radio. Ultimately, you go to TV. But it's, uh, it's just a completely different mindset. And I think the ones that really value it still always like to get back to their radio roots whenever they can. Talk to me about your style, um, because you are on 
television who you are in person and it's this very uh, kind of effusive energy uh, you describe things in a very um, intricate uh, flowery and I say that in a very good way like you, you, you have ways to yeah. describe things that are not routine mm-hmm. and I think that there's an, an interest in that because it's it's not the same bland thing you, it, you're not what everybody else is and I think there's something that's unique and special to that um, where did that come from and why did why did you develop that way well it's kind of you I, I want to be the first to say though I completely understand that that's my style is not to everybody's taste and you you have to be very under I mean when I first started in my career if one person said yeah I didn't like the way right oh my god I'd be like oh yeah. but you know as you go on it's like you know it's not forced it's not contrived I'm not someone that sits around and thinks about this stuff Joel, you honestly, I grew up in Detroit. So, you know, this is how when we were out playing the game, this is how we talked the game. I mean, for me, an example. Uh, and again, I'll say it again, sir, but I understand my st- it's not for everybody's taste. I got my critics. Hey, you know, too much. Too I get it. I understand it. But I'm, I, I'm not, I would be, I can't be bland. I can't be vanilla. And, you know, uh, when, uh, you know, Franco House, again, if he, you know, steps back and hits, uh, you know, step back. I, I just, I've never been, uh, you know, takes a shot, good. That, that's, that's not how I grew up. You know, I grew up with, you know, strong move to the cup and finishes strong off glass. You know, spectacular finish by Frank. Well, that's me. That's natural. Maybe not to everybody's taste, but, you know, I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to conform to what others want me to be or whatever. And, you know, I put that out there. And, again, if it was good enough to get me to the levels I wanted to get, fine. But trust me, you know, I know, you know, I have my detractors, and, and th- but that, that's the way it's going to be. You got to have thick skin, right? You got to have, you, you can't, if, it, if it's, that's what I, if I go and, you know, speak to broadcasting classes, sports especially, be you. Whatever feels good for you, do it. Don't be afraid to be criticized because you know what you're gonna. It's gonna be better for you. And do not try to be somebody else that you hear. Don't do that because that not that what you're trying to be might not be ultimately comfortable to you. Just be you, and whatever that is, whatever style that's it that is, you know, I believe it'll be good enough for for all of us. Um, I mean, the biggest thing, I'll tell you, the compliment I've, and I've heard this a lot, um, and I take this as a great compliment. I've heard, like, yeah, you know what? I don't really like Reggae's style, but I know that he prepares, and I know that he's as knowledgeable and has as much intimate inside with coach, players, team, organization. I take that as a great compliment. And remember, the state might be saying, I don't really like Reggae's style. But if it's followed up with, but I respect what he does because I know, I know that he's always prepared to meet, that's a compliment. What informs the way that you broadcast too? And I mean that from the standpoint of uh, there's a certain amount of creativity that comes with that. And, and you've said that you don't think those things out ahead of time. Mm. It's just what comes to you. But there's a certain amount of preparation that goes into that. Mm. Um, yep. I mean, is that is that being well-read? Is that uh, just thinking about how you develop a vocabulary? I mean, how did you go about developing who you are in that sense? Yeah, love of the game, number one. Loving the games and the sports. Um, you know, and that's I, I think that's first and foremost. And then to know that... You know, I, that I feel I have an understanding of, you know, whether it's what professionally, how organizations go about wanting to put their teams together. And but I think the love and the passion that I have makes me when I come to an arena or come to a stadium or a football state, baseball park, whatever, 
that day's game is the most important to me. I don't, I don't think you can worry about whether the team's on a 12-game losing slide because you still have to present that game that night as its own separate entity, whether a team's terrible or not. And um, so I think that's first and foremost that through the development of my style, just the passion that I have is going to come out. And I, I feel, you know, I, I want to show passion in the broadcast. Again, yeah, sometimes you, you got to temper it. You can't be screaming and yelling all the time. But to me, um, I just, I think I go back to um, when I'm thinking about it, you know, I mean, uh, you know, again, rise and fire and fill up the three. That's comfortable to me. That's the way I talked when I was a kid, you know. Um, like I said, you know, with the the strip away, the fleece, and, you know, head to the hole and flush it, you know, or, or crush it. Um, to me... I don't want to say he dunks it. I mean, I'm going to, it's just the way I've always felt about the game, you know. And uh, so, however, however that's all come together, um, I, it's, it's worked for me. And uh, because I think people know it's genuine, it's not contrived, and it's not forced. And I, I think that's been a benefit to me. This may be a silly question based on your answer there, um, but how long did it take you to get comfortable, particularly on television, um, with calling a game? Uh, part of that is, I mean, it seems like you just kind of let things come to you the way that they come, right. but there's a certain amount, especially you started in radio, yep. um, and there's a certain amount, you talked about this right off the top when we sat down, there's a certain amount of pulling back when you're on television. You have to. Uh, and I, I go through this a lot now. It's my, I mean, I've, I've done two years on TV and that's it. I've done 10 years on radio. Um, and I had somebody critique me and say, I can hear you thinking about what to do next. Uh, how long did it take you to stop thinking about what you were going to do next and understand, all right, I have to lay out a little bit here. Um, maybe I'm being too minimalist with my play-by-play here. Or maybe I've been too heavy here and trying to find that exact right balance that's tuned appropriately. Sure, I understand that. Well, with me, I will say it was all about <laughs> being too heavy when I was on TV I and and I did I had to I had to understand that you know you 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 cannot you know it's not that I was calling every pass but uh in a in a basketball game on TV but I think as I looked at it and self-critiqued it was just too much verbiage and where to the point that for the betterment of the viewer you got to pull back I've also, now back in the day, there were simulcasts. Now that's the real tough one. I would always lean a little bit to radio. Now I've done them. And basketball, I'm sorry, I got to lean a little bit to the, the, the guy in his car that needs a little. So it's tough, but, uh, you know, you got, that, that's the toughest one to find that happy because now you got both mediums listening on the radio, watching on TV, are you going to be too obtrusive to the TV viewer or are you going to be too uh, without enough information to the radio viewer? But, you know, it, 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 you're right. I mean, it, it took a while to find that medium. Sometimes I always still watch games, but, uh, and it's almost it's 98% for me TV now. So, I mean, uh, I say, yeah, you probably should have pulled back there a little bit, you know, let it breathe a little bit more. But I think, you're, you know, naturally the juices start flowing, and I want to describe everything. So not so much anymore, but, yeah, in the early years I had to think about it. It's like, oh, you know, don't, don't continue to just bottom line talk so much on tv it's an analyst driven medium i really believe any sport the you gotta as a player i want to make the analyst shine on tv if he shines she shines i feel that i'm doing my job well and if that doesn't happen then i it's part of it it's on me because they're supposed to be i think i i believe the one that uh is supposed to be the standout person of the telecast, you know, and if, I, I, if it's being done right. On the radio, hey, listen, especially in basketball, 
I I'll be honest with you. And you again, got ten words. Make them count. Yeah. Yeah. You got about <laughs> you know you got about six seven seconds, and you better be real good See. jumping at ticket, jumping in and out. You know. So um, it's. It does take time, you know, to go back to answer. It did take time. It does take time. And I think it's you're always searching when you're, um, you know, if you are doing both to uh, you got to think about it a little bit and find that uh, that good groove that is the best for that viewer TV, listener, radio. You've said it a couple of times, so I want to hit on it. Uh, setting up an analyst the right way and the best way. Uh, what have you found that works? Uh, be it like the leading statement, be it the direct question. Mm-hmm. Um, just the right way to get the most information out of somebody. I'm more direct question guy, you know. Uh, you know, if you and I are working together, you know, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much gonna say to you i mean you know as uh you know joel you know um, i think franco house receiving the ball in different spots on the floor has james whitford been going to that a little bit more when did that incorporate you know or how do you see that as being beneficial i'm more direct question guy with that um so and i i let my I let my partners know i mean obviously now yeah i worked with a lot of them all the time and you, you don't have to but if i'm working with somebody new hey uh, we're going to talk the game here and i'm going to i my job i just said my job is to make you shine i'm going to be a- direct questions we're going to talk the game we're going to go back and forth and you know i want you to be sharp Stay with me now because I want to, I, I'm going to put you in the very best position I can. But, you know, stay with me because you got to be sharp. And, and I'm going to be asking you some direct questions about this game. I can go down a rabbit hole that would take us forever, so I want to be careful here. Okay. But I, I do want to ask, uh, on that note, uh, where's the balance of physically calling the game? Because especially on television, uh, at some point you still have to call the game for the guy who's, you know, in the kitchen cooking with the TV on in the den. Right. Um, so not pulling off totally and just, all right, there's action going on. I'm going to yep. turn to you, Michael, and ask you this direct question yep. and, 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 and veer off in a certain way while still, I mean, do you just interject with a bucket when it happens, or how do you balance the conversation versus legit play-by-play part? Well, I, I, you know, on television, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, play develops and the ball's coming up the floor, and if it happens to be in a half-court set, you know, the analyst, the analyst should be either... Uh, you know, getting into why why has the team uh, started to malfunction on the offensive end the last three or four trips? But in something like that, you know, I'm uh, yeah, I'm probably going to say you know I might not say anything for 15 seconds, 20 seconds. Now that's if the analyst is going through a concept or a thought whether I ask him a question or not but then you know I'd like it to be uh, so say the entry pass finds Franco you know at that point I want to be able to say house strong finish with the left hand off the glass that's all I need to say that's all I need to say (laughs) (laughs) um distracted I gotta think about it these are the two they could be talking about (laughs) what's the deal we're we we just called the game. We're good. What's like <laughs> Elton sitting back there? I saw an article. I think it was in the Baltimore Sun, uh, and it was pretty deep into your Orioles tenure. And there was a quote from you that said you still tried to watch back every game. I do. And that's like 240 games a year at that point. How do you do it? And and what are you looking for, even at that juncture in your career, every night to say, what did I do well and what can I improve on tonight? Probably more interaction with, a, again, TV, my interaction with a color analyst. You know, did I put him or her in the, uh, the best position possible to succeed not only during that particular interaction, but the entire game? And I... True confession. Um, no, anymore. I, I'll still go through them, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm going to go back and watch all 80 minutes from these two games. I'm, I'm going to look at it, and I'm going to, you know, fast forward and, and uh, oh, did I handle this way I wanted? But yeah, I, it's it's very difficult to to watch it all now. But I used to back earlier. But that's the thing again. Am I making sure that I've got the color analyst? in the position that I wanted so that they could best 
you know, present their knowledge and their expertise about the game. I'm looking more for that now than than what I'm doing during that course of the game or how I'm calling the game. You know, so, I mean, at this point, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm into probably over 3,000 between NBA and college basketball games called on TV. I was into 2,000 uh, MLB. So, you know, more about am I taking care of my partner? That, that, that's where I'm more at right now. Michael, I think they legitimately almost kicked us out of the arena. So on that note, uh, we'll wrap things up, and I'll, I'll let you get to your prep for tomorrow. Uh, but I appreciate you doing this. And uh, pleasure. if I can ever repay it, I don't know what I can no, do for you, you but thank you very much. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're on a real strong path. I've listened to your games, and I think you got a real good grasp and a real good feel for not only calling the game, but presenting it to Mostly I've heard on radio, so presenting it too. And uh, I like what you're doing, so keep it up. Big things are ahead. Appreciate that, Michael. Thanks a lot. My pleasure, Joel. Michael Regai, our guest on Play by Playcast, the longtime voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Baltimore Orioles, and a lot of really good stuff in there from Regai. Uh, and I always love talking to him. So hopefully you guys got something uh, out of our conversation there. Uh, I love the reverence that he has for Joe Tate still. And that when people refer to him as the voice of the Cavaliers, he he would always shoo that and say, no, 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 no. Joe Tate is the voice of the Cavaliers. I just do the games. Uh, I loved that aspect of it, uh, which has really kind of become a, a constant theme throughout the podcast. It's just the humble nature of guys that have really been successful in this industry. Uh, and then I also loved Michael's approach to who he is. He's got a very uh, distinct style. And we talked about it in the podcast. You know, and he is who he is. When you listen to Michael Regai, he is that guy. Like, that's who he is. And it was interesting to hear him talk about the fact that he just, he is who he is. He's not going to think about it in any different terms as far as changing the person he is on air to please a certain aspect of the listenership. He's going to be who he is. And if that's for you, great. And if it's not, you know, that's who he is. And at some point, you are who you are. Uh, and I think there's obviously some tailoring that has to go on there. That's how we all get and keep jobs. Uh, and for him, that's how he was successful as the voice of two major, uh, you know, four major sports teams, the Cavs and the O's, for, for so long. But he was also who he was. He was true to who he was. And that's really important in, in what we do in this industry, and I really admire Michael for that fact. So, uh, tip of the cap, Michael Regai, thanks for doing this podcast as well, because it was really late at night, and we were both very, very tired. That being said, though, we are out of time, so uh, we'll wrap things up for this episode. Back at it next week, Chris Carino is the radio voice of the Brooklyn Nets, uh, and some really awesome stuff to talk about, Chris Carino. I loved recording this podcast. We did it this week. Uh, we get kind of wonky. There's some really good insight into just how he approaches uh, calling a game in a lot of different areas. I had a lot of fun. Hopefully you'll have a lot of fun with it. Uh, many thanks to Michael Regai uh, for this week's episode, and we'll look forward to talking to you next Friday. Right back here on Play by Play Cast. Marshmallow, we're out. <laughs>